And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you so. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Lord God, we are filled with joy and hope this morning as we think about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. There is so much in our world that can bring despair and anxiety. But our major concern, indeed the major dilemma of our life and existence, has been answered in the person of Jesus Christ through his resurrection. We are sure of our salvation because you validated the saving work of our Savior when you raised him from the dead. Please give us understanding of the depth of your word concerning the resurrection of Jesus and how it applies to every facet of our existence. I pray this in the name of our risen Savior. Amen. It's been about a few weeks now during one of the presidential coronavirus task force press conferences where our president used a descriptive term for an old medicine that could become a huge modern aid combating the current COVID-19 pandemic. He mentioned the hydrochloroquine possibility, this drug that has been used to treat malaria for years. He suggested, based on some testimonies, that the drug might be able to bring swifter healing to COVID-19. There are stories of the drug healing some who are said to have been on the brink of death. Since there are no other therapeutic medicinal treatments at the moment, if the drug he mentioned could help people, even save some people, it would be, as he put it, a blessing from heaven. He said this exactly about the potential for this drug to bring healing. He said, I think it's going to be very exciting. I think it could be a game changer. Maybe not, but I think it could be. Based on what I see, it could be a game changer. He said it twice using the term game changer to describe this drug. Now, some people probably took offense at this phrase, game changer, regarding a deadly virus anyways. Some may say this isn't a game at all, but you have to understand the phrase. It's used in different arenas, and every time it means something similar. If you go to Webster's Dictionary, a game changer is a newly introduced element or factor that changes an existing situation or activity in a significant way. That's what a game changer is in the most general application of the term. The Oxford Dictionary says something similar. Similar, A game changer is an event, idea, or procedure that affects a significant shift in the current manner of doing or thinking about something. Game changer. This is what our president used as a term to describe a drug that could save people's lives and alter the course of an outbreak. 
Well, if that's a game changer, the resurrection of Jesus Christ completely transforms every aspect of our existence. That's the ultimate game changer. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It affects and impacts every aspect of our being, every aspect of our existence. In Christ, we have one who died and was raised again and is still alive. In Christ, we have someone who showed the way to overcome the inevitable physical death. In Christ, we have the resurrection and the life, the very thing every human being longs for. Buddha doesn't transform our existence like Christ. Mohammed does not transform our existence like Christ. Moses doesn't transform our existence like Christ. Your favorite philosopher, guru, teacher, public figure, sports hero, or family member doesn't transform your existence the way Jesus Christ has. Politics can't transform your existence, not the way Jesus has. Hobbies, vocations, possessions, titles, experiences, none of these can transform your whole existence like Jesus Christ has. So on this Easter 2020, let's think afresh about how the resurrection of Christ completely transforms every aspect of our existence. First of all, we all have a past, a past that we are rightly concerned about. Jesus rectifies that past. Second, we are all living in the here and the now, heavy laden with questions and burdens and challenges. Jesus' resurrection empowers us for living in the present. Finally, we all have a future, and that future contains lots of unknowns. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we have security about the days and the years and eternity that lies ahead. Our past, our present, and our future. These are all bound up in the work of Christ, the risen Christ. The resurrection of Christ is, in fact, the ultimate game changer. First of all, the resurrection of Jesus rectifies our past, and we all need this. The resurrection of Jesus was the final validation of Christ's finished work on the cross. We know that Jesus' death actually paid for all of our sins because God raised him from the dead. This is confirmation that the Father accepted the sacrifice of the Son. This means that our sins actually are paid in full. Our past rectified in this way. When Paul preached the gospel, he included the resurrection as validation of Christ's saving work. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul said, For I delivered to you as of first importance, he says, of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Do you see what is of first importance, this complex of Christ's work for us? Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day. His resurrection confirms our past sins are forgiven. We all have our past sins. Our sin is condemning, it's weighty, it's burdensome. Maybe some of you are familiar with Pilgrim's Progress. This is where Pilgrim has a dream. 
is a dream of the Christian life and how it works itself out, how God works it out. In the picture of Christian in his dream is one who's carrying a heavy burden on his back, a heavy backpack that continually slows him down and weighs him down and worries him and gives him great anxiety. Multiple times, Christian refers to this burden on his back. He's fleeing the city of destruction to find refuge in the celestial city, the eternal city. But this burden of sin slows him down. He cannot advance fast enough to escape this destruction. He's just too slow. The burden on his back, the burden of his sin weighs him down. Christian says at one point, I fear that this burden that is upon my back will sink me lower than the grave. He meets a series of people and he consistently reminds them he can't keep up because he has this burden on his back. Pliable says to him, come on, let us mend our pace. Let's hurry to the city. And Christian responds, I cannot go as fast as I would by reason of this burden that is upon my back. What I seek, Christian said, is to be rid of this heavy burden. But get it off myself, I cannot. Nor is there any man in our country that can take it off my shoulders. Therefore, I am going this way as I told you, that I may be rid of my burden. He was going to get rid of his burden, but he didn't know how. He said, this burden on my back is more terrible to me than are all these which you have mentioned, all these perils. Nay, methinks I care not what I meet within the way. If so, I can also meet with my deliverance from my burden. But then he comes symbolically in the story to not just the cross. Oftentimes when you first read Pilgrim's Progress, you see him come to the cross and his burden is relieved. That's right, that's where our sins are forgiven. But Bunyan, the writer of this story, is very careful to mention something else that he sees. He comes to the cross and the sepulcher, the grave, the empty grave. Listen to what he says when he finally sees the work of the cross and the grave. Now I saw in my dream that the highway up which Christian was to go was fenced on either side with a wall. And that wall was called salvation. Up this way, therefore, did burdened Christian run, but not without great difficulty because of the load on his back, his sin. He ran thus till he came at a place somewhat ascending, and upon that place stood a cross, and a little below, in the bottom, a sepulcher, or a grave. So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up with the cross, his burden loosed off his shoulders and fell from his back and began to tumble and so continued to do it until it came to the mouth of the sepulcher where it fell in and he saw it no more. The resurrection of Christ guarantees that our sins are forgiven. It rectifies our past. Bunyan goes on to write, Then was Christian glad and lightsome and said with a merry heart, He hath given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. Then he stood still a while to look and wonder, for it was very surprising to him that the sight of the cross should thus ease him of his burden. Paul, when he is preaching in the book of Acts chapter 17, referring to the way the resurrection of Christ validates the forgiveness of our sins, rectifying our past, in Acts 17, 30, and 31, the times of ignorance God overlooked, 
but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Paul says judgment's coming. We cannot flee it. So repent. Turn away from your sin and unto God, and you can be sure of salvation. How? He has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. You can be sure of the gospel message because Jesus was raised from the dead, confirming his work as accepted by the Father. You can be positive that God will keep his promise to judge sin because Jesus rose from the dead, but you can also be sure that Jesus can save you from the coming judgment because of his resurrection. Again, Acts 17.31. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And here's the thing about our past sin and about our past being rectified by the resurrection of Christ. When we think of Jesus' resurrection, it doesn't apply only to those sins before you were a Christian. Jesus' saving work, as validated by the resurrection, applies to all of our sins. Even the ones you committed last week as a Christian, or the ones you committed yesterday as a Christian, or the sins you committed this morning before you turned on this broadcast. Even those sins are paid for by Christ. He has rectified our past, and he's rectified all of our sin problem. Spafford wrote so well in It Is Well With My Soul. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. And the cross is validated by the resurrection. Paul, writing in Romans, speaking of Abraham, who trusted in God's salvation, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He had faith in the coming Messiah, and that was credited to him as righteousness. Listen to the particular wording in Romans 4. Romans four twenty-two and following. That is why his faith, Abraham, was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We're made right by God ultimately by his resurrection, which confirms the fullness of his work on our behalf. He was delivered to the cross for our sins, and he was raised for our justification. The resurrection of Christ justifies us before God. It rectifies our past. But the resurrection of Christ is also our constant power for living today. This is how we know Christ's resurrection is the ultimate game changer. It's not just about the past. The resurrection of Christ empowers us now. You know that term, that phrase, game changer, it may have originated in competition, and we apply it to sports competition quite a bit. In the realm of sports, a game changer could be that one play that changes the game entirely, and every fan of every city has some play they remember as being the big one. 
a game changer in sports. It's a sudden action. It could be a person doing it, and we call the person a game changer. It could be a play somebody makes that changes. Uh, it could be the play, could be the game, could be the series, could be a franchise. In 1996, I'm sure you all remember well, the World Series, Atlanta versus the New York Yankees. The Braves were spanking the Yankees. They destroyed them in the first two games. The Yankees snuck out game three, and then game four happened, and it looked like the Yankees were going to lose again. Going down 3-1 to one to the Atlanta Braves in that era, it would have been over. It was game four of the World Series, and it looked like the Yankees would indeed lose. Sixth inning of the game, Yankees down 6-3. to three. Mark Wohlers was the Braves pitcher. This man could throw the ball 100 miles an hour, and there are a lot less people who are throwing 100 miles an hour in 1996 than they are in 2020. All he had to do was keep throwing fastballs because the batter, Jim Laritz, wasn't hitting fastballs very well at that, that era in his career. Instead, for some reason, Wallers throws a slider, and Laritz hits a home run, and the Yankees go on to win that game. I know everybody here is happy to hear how that came out. From 1996, they went on to win four more World Series for those keeping count. That play was a game-changing play. That play was a series-changing play. That play actually changed, no doubt, even the course of the franchise for several years. If that's a game-changer, and I'd say it is, how much greater is the resurrection of Christ when we think of it as a game-changer. It is the ultimate game-changer. And it's a game-changer not only for our past, but also for right now, every day as you live. You are united to the risen Christ. You're not united to an old idea of religion or an old philosopher who we align with. You are united together by faith with the living Christ who's seated at the right hand of the Father who lives to make intercession for us. So it's Right now, this moment, we have resurrection power in our life as we are united to Christ. I think of one of those times when Jesus spoke in present terms about the impact of the resurrection. You remember he delayed his visit to Lazarus till after Lazarus died. And when he spoke to the women who were watching, they were disappointed that he didn't come earlier. They thought, well, you could have healed him and he wouldn't have died. But Jesus delayed this so that he could prove an ultimate point about his lordship over death. Before raising Lazarus, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Present. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. He wants present knowledge to be given to the people witnessing so they have a present strength for their life. He says further in John eleven twenty six, And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Present tense. Believing that Jesus is the resurrection empowers us to live in the present. It was Andrew Murray who said, A dead Christ I must do everything for. But a living Christ does everything for me. And this is the truth of Jesus' dynamic work in our life right now in the present because he has been raised again. We know Christ's command over death because of what he displayed in his earthly ministry and what he did in his own ministry of 
laying down his life and then being raised again. His own resurrection. We know that Christ is, is in command of our eternal existence because of his resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus confirms our place in him. Our faith is strengthened with knowledge of Jesus' resurrection right now. Peter writing to encourage a beleaguered group of Christians who were constantly facing persecution and death. He writes in 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So even under persecution, oppression, and difficulty, because of the resurrection of Christ, we are called to a living hope. In everything we do, we ultimately do by hope. Martin Luther said it just that way. In our hope of ultimate resurrection, confirmed by Jesus' resurrection, gives us present power for living. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept present tense in heaven for you. He has caused us to be born again to this living hope, and this knowledge helps us today. We are not bound by what we see only in this life. We know what is to come, and that helps us now. I have a good friend who is not a Christian. I interact with him almost daily. He would call himself an adherent of naturalism. Naturalism is a philosophical belief that everything arises from natural properties and causes. And supernatural or spiritual explanations are completely excluded or discounted. Now, he lets me give my spiritual take on things. He just discounts what I say. He doesn't mock me for it. In fact, what he says when I speak about my faith in Christ or my hope in eternal life, bound up, of course, in the death and resurrection of Jesus, he'll say, I wish I could believe something like you believe that. And then he says something most tragic. He said it tragic. He said it to me many times in our friendship. I just think that this life is all there is. After we die, there's nothing. It's over. Not so. Not so because of the resurrection of Christ. Just like Peter says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. We have a living hope. I can't understand the way he thinks. Why? Because God has caused me to live to be born again according to the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Present empowerment for living, the life God's called us to, is bound up in the resurrection of Christ himself. Knowing our inheritance is coming, one that can never be taken, like everything else in this life can be taken, but our inheritance in Christ cannot be taken. That is a hope that compels us to life today. This hope is based on the resurrection of Jesus, and it completely transforms our perspective today. Paul prays for our beloved Ephesians, a church that he served for over two years. In Ephesians 1, 18 and following, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, this is the spiritual enlightenment that God gives us, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, now listen to Ephesians 1.20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand 
in the heavenly places. The same power that God the Father used to raise God the Son is the power he uses and works in our lives so that we might be enlightened to the spiritual truth and that we might live out God's calling for us. Paul knew that the basis for the enlightenment that we need, the spiritual enlightenment we need, the ability to see spiritually, the basis is the resurrection of Jesus. The risen Christ gives us perspective for living now. Paul prayed concerning the Philippians, another beloved congregation that he knew well. He prayed for himself and for those to whom he ministered in Philippians 3, verse 10, that I may know him, Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means, Paul said, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He knew of the resurrection, the surety of it. And so this allowed him to live the life that God called him to, even if it meant suffering. And he would do any of it just so he would realize ultimately what he knew would happen, resurrection from the dead. The author of Hebrews, again, speaking to the immediate impact of the resurrection of Jesus on our lives. In the last verses of that great book, he says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. See the basis for everything I'll say next. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. The final statement in Hebrews is a bit of a prayer that we would be equipped to do God's will. And the basis for that prayer is remembrance of the resurrection of Christ. May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. And then he goes on to ask this blessing, this benediction for us. These blessed or good words, benediction. Equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The writer of Hebrews appeals to God's resurrection power to be at work in our lives. The resurrection of Christ not only rectifies our past, it also empowers our lives today. It doesn't stop with the past and the present. This is what is meant by saying that the resurrection of Jesus impacts every aspect of our existence, our past, our present, but also our future. In the business world, the label game changer is used quite a bit, I have found. In the business realm, a game changer can refer again, sort of like an athlete in their realm, a person or a business or a technology that has changed the game, so to speak. It can refer to a person who is a visionary or a company that alters a, a certain business strategy or invents something. A game changer changes the way that something is done, thought about, or made. You know, in modern times, Jeff Bezos is considered a game changer in his company, Amazon. Who here can imagine life without Amazon? Elon Musk is considered some, somewhat of a game changer also. Uh, still working his influence, producing a car that can actually run efficiently on electric, among other things. Game changer, though, has been used in the world of technology and inventions. Think about all these different 
game-changing inventions or technologies. The invention of the firearm itself was called a game-changer. You could say that for sure. The invention of the tractor was called a game-changer. The invention of radio and then later TV called game-changers. The development of refrigeration was called a game-changer. The invention of the car and the airplane, game-changers. GPS technology, game-changer. The development of smartphones, game-changer. But these things are temporary. And there's always something else that will come along. What was a game-changer yesterday will be supplanted by something else in the future. You could be sure of that. But the resurrection of Christ, the resurrection of Jesus, that is the ultimate game-changer. The resurrection of Jesus completely transforms every aspect of our existence, past, present, and future. The resurrection of Jesus won't be supplanted by something better. Our future is known and secure. Paul, being careful to explain this exactly to the Corinthians, wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 and and following. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The fact of his resurrection, known to them, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now Paul mentions that Jesus is the prototype for our resurrection as believers. So in other words, the resurrection is not just a theory about the future. It's been done already. It's been evidenced already. It's already on display. Our resurrection isn't based on anecdotal evidence. You've heard that term recently. It's not anecdotal, our our resurrection to come. It's based on an observable event that can be tested. And there are witnesses to, multiple witnesses to. Jesus' resurrection is the prototype or the first of many resurrections to come. The first fruits, our resurrections to come. This is the future that's clear to us because of Christ's resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, 21, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. We are dead in Adam, but we, united to Christ by faith, are raised with him. The resurrection comes to us in this way. That's our future. But as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Our future resurrection is known and sure because Christ has shown it. Christ has done it. Later in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And you know it's true because you know what has happened, because Christ has been raised from the dead. The one who has given this revelation is one himself who has defeated death. That's who we need to hear from. That's the word we need from the one who has done the thing that he forecasts. With knowledge about how things turn out, we are emboldened for today. We can face the certainty of physical death with courage and with hope. We can risk more in that light. We can be adventurous for Christ. We can throw ourselves into service of others for the sake of Christ. We know the future for us. We can love more thoroughly. We can live more vibrantly. 
knowing the future completely paints our perspective for living life now. Even our mourning the loss of other believers can be faced with a knowledge and perspective about the sure future. And it frees us from paralysis. One example is when Paul writes to the Thessalonians and to us. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, in 1 Thessalonians 4, about those who are asleep. Just a way of saying they have died, at least in body. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Don't grieve with those who don't understand the future. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. The surety of Christ's resurrection is our surety about those who have already gone before us, who are in Christ, and about our future, our eternity. Ultimate, ultimate game changer. Paul, once again, to the Romans, chapter 6. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. The resurrection of Jesus Christ completely transforms every aspect of our existence. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the ultimate game changer. The resurrection of Jesus has rectified your past. The resurrection of Jesus is giving you power and ability to know him and to love him and to follow him now. The resurrection of Jesus has given us security, surety, stability about the future. It's true. It's fine to say that a life-saving medical regimen is a game changer on some level. It is fine to say that an awe-inspiring play in sports or competition is in some way a game changer. It's fine to say or to identify a technological advance or a, a sound or smart or brilliant business mind or practice as something that's a game changer. But there is no action in the history of the universe more impactful, life-defining, and eternity-altering than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. From where you are sitting today, I pray for all of you, myself included, that by God's grace, we can see why Jesus, as our risen Savior, rectifies our past, secures our future, and gives us what we need for living today. With that knowledge, and by God's supernatural power, the same power that raises Jesus from the dead, the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesians in chapter 1, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Ephesians 1.18 Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand 
in the heavenly places. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you are our risen Savior. You came for us, humbling yourself to the point of death on a cross. And God highly exalted you by raising you from the dead and by seating you at his right hand. You own the name that is above all names. And at your name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. We willingly and gratefully confess you as our Savior and our Lord to the glory of God, the Father, who sent you. Now take us from this place to the rest of our existence. And may it be an existence that acknowledges our triune God at every phase of our life. May all crowns that can be given be given unto you, Lord Jesus. It is in your name that we pray. Amen.